0: We are starting a new series today. It's the book of Titus. Uh, it's in the New Testament and it's not easy to find. And it's not easy to find because in most Bibles, it's only two pages long. I guess if you had one of those really big family Bibles, it'd be just one page. Um, and so it's not really easy. If you're looking for it, you'll, you'll find it. Uh, you know, you've got first and second Thessalonians and first and second Timothy and then Titus. So All the T's are together. That makes it easy. Uh, but again, don't be ashamed. If you need to go back to the index, Look it up, find it. It's easier if you follow along that way. Um, and so this book is, is actually a letter. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a guy named Titus. Uh, he's a young pastor on the island of Crete, a place where Paul had been traveling and preached the gospel there. And, and what they're finding is that people were, were coming to faith as they hear the gospel, uh, and, and yet there's no leadership in the local community. Uh, and these false teachers begin to arise uh, and are beginning to develop. And, and so it's written into that sort of context. Uh, Paul writes to Titus to prepare him. To guide him. Uh, in this difficult task of shepherding so many new disciples in this, in this land. And, and so these opening verses here are, are kind of like this, this template. In fact the whole book is kind of like this, this template for, for Titus's ministry. And really for, for any church anywhere at any time. Any place. And, and so as we read this. Here today in in Manhattan, Kansas, 2016, it also serves as this template for what a church should look like. Uh, It's going to expect it's going to take us nine weeks. We don't know that for sure. We might combine or or split up somewhere, but expecting about nine weeks. Uh, And I think you're going to absolutely love this. I think you're going to love it and and that we're going to become better disciples of Christ for our time spent in this book of of Titus here. So... uh, We're going to get started. We're going to be looking at just the first four verses. It's what's the greeting of the letter, and it seems like way too little, but you'll see there's plenty in here. Uh, So follow along. Titus 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God... Who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a letter written by one redeemed sinner to another, and this is your word. Your your word for your people. It has been breathed out by you, and we ask that you bring us all to it today with the trust that this is profitable for us, that it will teach us, that it will reprove us, that it will correct us, and, and train us for righteousness. Yes, Lord, we desire to be competent and equipped for every good work, and so we come to your word now to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I, I mentioned the idea of, of, of shopping local. You remember that, right? Um, so, of course, this week I, I find myself in the least local of all stores on the planet. Uh, and one of my least favorite places to be, any guesses where that might be? Walmart. You all know that, right? Okay, so Walmart. And, and, and you know, there, are, there were a few things that Lord was looking for. And so I just tagged along with her. I thought, sure, I'll go with her and immediately regretted it just kidding. Uh, And so, you know, there I stood. I'm I'm right outside the freezer section, and I'm just looking around bored. I should have been helping her, but I was just looking around bored, and I'm seeing these bright packages everywhere, trying to convince me that this this food here is a wonderful choice for you to make a good meal option. And these were, were foods that had this familiar sounding ingredients when you look at them, but they've been recombined in all these really weird ways that appeal to this, uh, this American idea of, of, of love for all things that are new. Um, you know, hash browns stuffed with cheese and vegetables. Well, that's not so bad. Uh, or a, a sausage on a stick wrapped in pancake, like a corn dog, you know, it's still a pretty good idea. And then you got got the, the deep-fried chocolate-filled Twinkies, I didn't know they existed. Um, My life is better now that I know that it exists. Uh, Or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which are totally normal until you realize they have made them on graham crackers. Uh, There was a cinnamon roll in the shape of a waffle that goes into a toaster. Uh, These are all these crazy new ideas, they're constantly recombining a a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich, which again, totally normal until you realize it's made with French toast. And and then the best one, one one Laura found later, was uh, edible bubbles. Bubbles, like the kind your kid goes outside and blow, now requires a nutritional label because it's edible. It's food, uh, and, and we see this this repackaging all over the place as as companies are seeking to answer this question: What does the consumer want? You know what what sounds good to her? What will he purchase if we package it this way? And some of the combinations, you know, if I'm completely honest, intrigue me, like I I get excited about it. In fact, I was at Radina's and looking out the window on on Tuesday, and and I saw this sign at at Burger King that read, Whopper plus burrito, Whopperito. And I thought, that sounds brilliant. and that's kind of the way we, we view things when we don't really think much about them. But as I'm re- seeing all these things this week, I, I kind of come to this conclusion, that's kind of the state of the evangelical church in our country today. You have these familiar sounding ingredients. I mean, we call it worship. But it's repackaged to, to get attention. There's you know preservatives and artificial flavors and not a lot of substance. It's uh, novel. but but not really spiritually healthy. You know, when you, when you go to the doctor and he says, you know what, chicken would be a really healthy option for you to eat. He, he assumes you know that he's not talking about Chicken McNuggets at McDonald's. It's just assumed, right? And, and so then when we pick a book like Titus that we're going to go through, I, I, we pick it because it, we think it's going to help give us direction as a church family. It, it's going to help us see that, that God has intended order and structure for his church and it teaches us that, that sound doctrine, sound doctrine feeds and fuels our hearts for living godly lives for the glory of God and, and the good of our neighbors. And so it's this reminder that we, that we want, you know, that, that what we want is not always what we need. Everything I listed probably sounded amazing to you. You're going to go out and look for these probably. But, but sometimes what we want is not what we need. You know, just like every child on the planet almost wants to go to the dinner table and find a bowl of ice cream and a bowl of Skittles waiting for him. That's kind of the dream. More than children, right? Some of you adults dream of that too. And, but that's why God gave parents and, and guardians. You know, because what children need to grow and to remain healthy is a meal of nourishing vegetables and protein and, and real food. You know, just to, to pick on McDonald's a, a bit more, you know, they have that sign out front and when I was a kid, it'd be like over a million, so many million, and but now it's billions and billions served, and they mean how many people have come through their doors in their history. Uh, billions and billions of people served, and, and that's great, but, but how many of those billions did you, did you feed and nourish with a healthy meal? And that's, that's a question we're asking because in, in a similar way, we need, we need to measure success not by numbers, but but whether the gospel is proclaimed inside these walls and outside these walls as we go out, uh, whether we're becoming more in love with Jesus, our Savior, and whether God is sanctifying us. That's a big word, sanctifying us. That is, are we growing more like Jesus because of the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so then, I hope you begin to see then why, why Titus is such an interest to us as a young church plant. Because we're not, we're not looking to be novel. There's certainly always that temptation, but that's not what we really want, you know? We're, we're looking to be obedient to the scriptures in regard to, to what a local congregation should be. And this, this letter teaches us that, just that. But, but it's not just that, it's also teaching us that our Christian lives, or what our Christian lives can look like, and, and the joy that we can experience when we are following Christ with our whole hearts. So let me give you a little background. That's more of a setup there. But let me give you a little bit of a background on this letter itself. Uh, I already mentioned it was written by the Apostle Paul. You might know something about him in case you don't. Um, He was originally named Saul, and he was a well-respected Jewish man who hated Christians. In fact, he hated Christians so much that he got permission to travel to a city named Damascus where he wanted to arrest people uh, and and to send them to jail and, and to put them on trial. And on his way there, he actually encounters the resurrected Jesus who speaks to him and blinds his eyes. And, and he knows immediately who he's, who he's interacting with, that it's Christ. And, and Christ says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and then after that, even though Saul, or what his name will become, Paul, uh, even though his eyes remain closed, he remains blind for a longer time, at this moment, he, he now knows, he could see that Jesus is real. And he believed the gospel and Paul's life was forever changed from that moment forward. You know, from that day forward, he he understood himself to be a servant of of God, just as he states here in verse 1. We see that phrase, you know, when he says, I am a a servant of God. And and really, that's a great identifier for all of us. If if you've looked to Christ for salvation, then you're a servant of God. We are servants of God. And Paul also identifies himself more exclusively as an apostle of God. An apostle means someone who's been sent with a specific purpose, a unique purpose, and, and, and even before that sentence is completed, he gives us a picture of what he's been sent for. Do you see that? For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now, there's a lot of nuance in these words. You look at this, it's not a real big section. Um, there's a lot of nuance here. Some some time ago, I, I, I began reading fiction books, just normal ones. I rarely know what they are before I begin them, uh, but I did so because uh, I just love seeing the way an author would word things and uh, word things, and also just because. I'm like a 10-year-old boy, I just love stories. Um, and so it's, it's this fun thing to see how an author views the world and then how they put it down on paper. And uh, currently, I'm reading a book called The Goldfinch. I don't even know how it ends yet, so don't tell me anything. But, but, but early on in this book, the author is, is speaking about classic paintings and the, the kind we go to museums and we look at, that real art, not the weird modern kind of stuff, but, uh, but this art, and, and he says or she writes this. She says, even the tiniest things mean something. Whenever you see flies or insects in a still life, a wilted petal, a black spot on an apple, the painter is giving you a secret message. He's telling you that living things don't last. It's all temporary. Maybe you don't see it at first with all the beauty and the bloom, the the little speck of rot. But if you look closer, there it is. Paul's letters are a little bit like that. In the sense that these words are very intentional, he's not wasting words here and there. And in the paintings of many of the artists, you know, they're hiding this truth that all things die. And in this letter, some of the smallest phrases are not hiding, but actually pointing out the fact that in Jesus there is eternal life and abundant life even now. And Paul is giving. Titus, and indeed he's giving all of us this, this vision of life that, that touches people in small and purposeful ways, a life that has actual eternal consequences. What he's showing us is that our beliefs put into practice result in godliness that leads us to, to living a life that is truly the good life, truly the good life. So there's these, these small nuances in our text that in light of the whole of scripture tell us wonderful things about God. And the first one we, we see here in verse 1, as Paul explains why he has been sent, is, is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Election. Uh, it's like predestination. It's, it's one of those taboo words in Christianity that you can be in a room with a bunch of other Christians and nobody ever mentions it even though you see it in scripture. It's because we we kind of want to just imagine that God works differently than what we see in this. It's offensive to our our sense of free will and choice. And and while it's not necessary that someone believes in election to believe the gospel, the fact that God has revealed this to us in his word means that there is value for us as disciples of Christ to know this. At the most basic level, election means that God has chosen to give faith to some and, and not to others. And I... I won't go into the details since I have before, but when I first learned this in my own life as a, as a teenager, I um, hated it so much. hated the idea of it. And I hated anybody who wanted to show me in scripture where they saw it. really did. But eventually I, I saw how much this truth magnifies the grace of God to us in salvation and the gospel. And I began to, to love it. Um, I think often the objection to the doctrine of election stems from uh, a false understanding of, of man, woman's, people's spiritual condition. You know, we like to, to say phrases like, people are broken. And they are, and that's an okay phrase, but 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 our real spiritual condition is so much worse than just broken. Because we're not we're not just broken, we're dead. And that's that's not my word. That's that's God's word in 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 his scripture. Ephesians 2 1 says And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Do you know what what dead people do? Dead people do nothing, nothing at all. They do less than cats, nothing. (laughs) Do you know what happens when you ask a dead body to go meet you for dinner? You eat alone because dead bodies don't do anything. Forget everything you learned about Weekend at Bernie's. They do nothing. You know, uh, uh, you can throw a life preserver to a drowning man, but, but we're not drowning in our sin. Nowhere do we see we're drowning in our sin. We're dead. We're at the bottom of the lake dead. Which, when we realize that, might lead us to wonder, you know, if that's true, what's the point in preaching the gospel to anyone? Why bother if we're all spiritually dead? And, and the answer to that is that, that God... Gives life. That's why God gives life, and so we have real hope. You know, in the same chapter in Ephesians, uh, chapter chapter two, that says that we're dead in our sins. A few verses later, four and five also tell us the, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, listen. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so there, there is real hope. But, but not because we contribute to our salvation. Because what did we contribute to our salvation? Nothing. You know, we contribute about as much as Lazarus contributed to his resurrection. God made him alive. And, well, he was alive. That's how that worked. I, I, I've told you before. I'll tell you again. We are all a bunch of non-contributing zeros to our salvation. salvation and yet God has given life in Christ. And, and that's the powerful grace of God in the gospel. And so, I I know we're in Titus, we're in the book of Titus, and here I keep quoting Ephesians. Let me just give you one more section in Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It gives this great summary of God's work in salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. And that's kind of the point of election right there. You, You can't brag about what you did in salvation because you didn't do anything but you can brag who can you brag and you can brag in Christ because he's done everything I mean are you seeing then that that this isn't just ivory tower theology And and I I need you to know that because because this really means something practical for Paul. And and he's pointing it out to Titus because it's going to mean something really practical for Titus. and, And I'm pointing it out to you because this means something very practical for the way we live our lives and the way we minister. You know, this isn't to win arguments. Do not take this and go win arguments or you've completely misunderstood the point of a theology like this. You know, I, I want you to believe the truth of election because, one, it's true, and, and two, it, it, it glorify God, glorifies God, and three, and especially because it means that God may have people in here and out there who he has chosen to believe the gospel, but they need to hear it, right? We can't just end there. They need to hear it, or as Romans 10.14 says it, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without preaching? See, the doctrine of God's sovereign election should invigorate us for evangelism. You know, keep in, in mind then that, that this is not just a, a theology as, as hobby kind of thing for Paul. It, it has given him hope in the past and in the future and in moments when most of us would just pack our bags and absolutely quit. We, we preached the book of Acts recently. Do you remember... Uh, Chapter 18, Paul's in the city of Corinth. uh, And he's preaching in the synagogue. And the Jews come. And they can't stand Paul. And they're angry at Paul. And that's the moment when you're kind of going to be tempted to just, let's just pack and go. But then Jesus speaks to Paul in this this vision. And he tells him, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. And and then then he gives him the reason. He says, for I have many in this city who are my people. And and what he means is, is keep preaching because there are people here who will believe the gospel. There are those that are here and they are dead in their sins and whom God intends to bring back to life. And so keep proclaiming the gospel to them and and let God provide the faith needed to believe. But don't give up. And God has people in this city too. God has people in the the places that he has you. Um, John Newton you probably know his name he's famous for the hymn Amazing Grace right? Uh, you think uh, what's behind a, a man who writes a song like that uh, in 19, or 1767, yeah, a bit further In uh, 1767 he had this this letter exchange remember before texting that's how people talk to each other from distances uh, and they did this letter exchange back and forth and one of the letters that Newton wrote um, he wrote of how this doctrine of election uh, which he refers to as Calvinism, has motivated his preaching of the gospel. He, he said to the young man, As to myself, if I was not a Calvinist, I would have no more hope of success in preaching to men than to horses or cows. And he means, if, if this is just my words, if, if God doesn't change people, I might as well be preaching to horses and cows because no one's going to respond to anything I say. And it's not just here in, in Titus 1. Uh, we see this doctrine all over God's word, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. I told you I wouldn't quote Ephesians again, but here I am doing it. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So if this, if this doctrine still disturbs you, that's okay. I didn't come around in one day either. Um, but I encourage you to look to, to Scripture, and you might just begin in Romans 9. Romans 9 is one of those, those chapters you read it, and it almost feels like someone's spying on your mind because it asks the questions, it gives the objections that you would give, uh, and then it answers those questions right in the flow. Uh, but really, you know, this, this doctrine shouldn't upset you. It should encourage you to know that there are people who will believe the gospel when we proclaim it. What, what's more encouraging than that? So that's why, why Paul ministers, as he says in verse 1, for the faith of the elect and for the knowledge, their knowledge of the truth. Um, but what we see here in the, in the details is that, that Paul desired much more than a, a simple profession of faith in, in these people that he ministered to. He desired that they grow to live godly lives because godliness is the fruit of, of genuine faith and knowledge of the truth, some degree of it. See, what, that, what, that, what he means with that phrase, you know, when he says that phrase, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And, and take note, he's, he's not saying the, the more we know what God's demands and requirements are, the more we'll obey them. He, he's giving us a vision so that we understand this. The, the more that we understand what Jesus has done for us, the more we understand his love for us, in the gospel then the more we're going to grow in love with Christ Jesus and the more our lives will reflect that love for Jesus in our obedience in other words Paul's aim was not mere converts but disciples of Christ and try to understand it this way you know we we do nothing to earn our salvation nothing we couldn't be more clear about that but but once we possess it our, our lives are changed for the better you know, the, the Christian life then is intended to be lived fully, not just salvation-possessed, right? Uh, for instance, I, I could give you a car, and that car is, is yours. It, it really is yours. You do have possession of it, but unless you, you drive it around, you haven't really used the car in the way that I, I hoped you would. You know, I didn't give you a car so you just leave it in the driveway and then continue day after day to to walk yourself to the store or to work and and back home week after week. I I gave you the car so that you would drive it. The faith that we have received is a, a vehicle for living life more abundantly. True faith always produces godliness. Of some degree, right? Some degree. We'll, we'll see this idea much more in Titus, and so I'll, just, I'll leave it at that for right now, but, uh, but keep that in mind, that's, that's what his aim was, disciples, not just converts. Verse 2 then speaks of the hope of eternal life, as is usually the case um, in scripture. This is expectant hope. Do you understand that, expectant hope? We use the word very unknown. I have no idea what's going to happen, I hope. Uh, they use the word here in a very expectant, just like tomorrow, I hope the sun will come up. I really expect it to. Um, here we can also learn that of God's character, it says he never lies, never. That's the foundation of the hope of eternal life that God has promised, right? That God has promised it before the ages and God never lies. We know it's coming. Uh, so of course, you know, that promise has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, which we see in verse 3. Um, then tells us, at the proper time, it manifested in his word through the preaching. Paul uh, is a servant of Christ, and his method of ministering is preaching. Preaching. Do you hear that and think, like, that's not the most exciting thing in the world? Um, preaching? But that's, that's what God has given us. You know, the simple proclamation statement uh, of the gospel. Uh, Kevin, Kevin DeYoung wrote that the greatest... Ailment in the church today is lost confidence in the Word of God. And, and what he means is the, the reason that churches run after gimmicks, the reason that, that churches have theme days and, and movie clips and attractional methods of all sorts, is, is that they've lost confidence in the word of God and the preaching of the word to actually change people. Um, you know, why do we why do we doubt statements like Romans? 1017 which tells us so, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Because you, you see in our, our passage today how it says the, the promise of a savior, the promise of eternal life is manifested. We don't use that word manifested. You all learned it in history, manifest destiny. You have no idea what that means. Um, I, I don't, so I'm assuming you don't. Maybe you're smarter than me, probably. Um, Manifest means that something becomes visible, seeable, knowable. Uh, You know, the the Amazon Prime box arrives at your house, you can't remember what you ordered, you don't know what's inside of it, it becomes manifested when you actually open that box and look inside, and so he, he says the promise of eternal life is manifested, he means it is revealed by the preaching of the word. And so then the gospel is revealed to your friend when when, when you or someone else proclaims the word to them. And so pray. Pray for anyone, anywhere, who is manifesting the gospel, who is proclaiming the gospel to others. Yes, I am asking you to pray for me week after week as I come to the word and, and look to be preaching it for you. You know, pray for, for Travis and, and Ryan when, when you know they're going to be preaching here on, on, on a Sunday. Pray for, for John and, and Sam each week as they prepare to go onto the campus at K-State and to proclaim your word uh, to students, many of whom have, have never heard anything about the gospel. Pray for them. Pray for each other because, you know, you're all ministering the word in, in some way or another. Even your, your friend calls you up on the phone and they tell you about this argument they're having with, with someone they're close with. And, and you minister to them by the way that you, you teach the word to them. The way you take what you learn from scripture and you proclaim it to them. You know, it's not, not formally, not like we're doing here on a Sunday morning, but, but yet powerfully by speaking what we know from God's word in, in the way that we counsel others. Now don't, don't ever lose confidence in the word of God. I, I can't say that enough. I'll just say it once for your sake. But don't, once more. Don't ever lose confidence in the Word of God because without it we we have no knowledge of the truth. Without it we have we know nothing of Christ. Without it we have no hope to offer anyone. Um, And So preaching and proclamation in all its forms is very important. Uh, uh, A fellow pastor of mine I was at this retreat last year uh, sometime last spring and a fellow pastor shared with me this this story. There's this painting in his room or his house back home and it's this painting of his grandfather, and he's on this, on this boat, and he's speaking to these people out in, in front of him, and the people who are looking at him, um, are all looking at him, and he says this painting is so meaningful to him because uh, the day after the event actually depicted in this painting, two-thirds of those men died in battle. And he said every time he, he sees it, he's, he's reminded that, that we preach and we proclaim the gospel to people, who may not have another tomorrow. Um, praise God that we have the gospel to proclaim to those in need. You know, so why, why proclaim the gospel? We, we proclaim it because it's truth, truth that brings eternal life and then changes our lives forever. In our last verse today then Paul refers to Titus as a, a true child in a common faith. Uh, most likely this this means that he came to believe the gospel from from Paul proclaiming it the ministry of Paul and, and that phrase here a, a common faith such a beautiful word choice here it's that that feeling that that knowledge of, of family that, that we have with people just because uh, we know that we both look to Christ for forgiveness of our sins it's this this trust that comes out of that common faith you know just just based on a simple common belief in who Christ is Some years ago, I was driving a group of students to a mission trip in Mexico. And um, on our way there, we traveled through the Promised Land. I mean, we traveled through Texas. and It's hard not to do that. And along the way, though, we we stayed in these churches in Waco and, and San Antonio. And it was so amazing to me. Like, I forget the common faith things sometimes because they would just leave a key out for us. Here's this building with all the sound equipment and a lot of valuable stuff. I've talked to them on the phone. Uh, they know we're fellow Christians and they just leave a key, we come in, we sleep. Most of them left us some sort of food something like that. Uh, gave us a place to stay. All because of this, this common faith. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I, I think you read something like this, the common faith, and it raises this question, you know, do, we, do we have common faith with other, other churches in, in town? And the answer to that is, with some, yes. Um, with, with those who, who have faith that the, the word of God is real and trustworthy. With those who are, are pointing to Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin. Yes, absolutely yes. Uh, I, I mean on every other Tuesday morning with a group of pastors. And, and they're from all these different churches in town. And we have various different theologies and understanding. You know, it's one of those rooms you wouldn't mention the term predestination or election in. And, and yet there is this, this general base level common faith. That we're all looking to christ and we all trust his word and, and and it's such a joy to hear these men pray for the kingdom of god pray for for the gospel to come to our city and and just have this this unity among so many different churches together it's just this this beautiful thing to have a common faith with others uh so travis mentioned that i and when he was up here earlier i hope you you picked up on it the the quote in your the reflection quote at the front of your bulletin by Luke Stamps, where he writes, The church is not merely an aggregation of individual believers. It is the congregation of those who are united to one another by a common faith and who are strengthened together, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, through the preaching of the word, the observation of the sacraments, and the prayers of God's people. Okay, so um, this is just the opening of the letter. And it comes to the end with those familiar words you've seen before. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see often in Titus that, that truth really matters for all of life. Uh, we're going to learn what a, what a challenge it is to live in a, accordance with godliness while we live in a wider culture that defines the good life in quite contrary terms. And, and this is a great book for us as it was written to this, this young church plant that is starting to, to come together and organize and develop things. And, uh, you know, it was often in this, in this culture where it was so harsh and where people were selfish. And, and yet here is this church intentionally planting themselves right in the middle of this culture uh, so that they might bring the gospel to, to the culture, to those who live there. Uh, so one last point of application, just to narrow it down to something. Uh, to ask this, this personal question, and the question is this, what's, what difference has knowing the gospel made in your life this past week? What difference has knowing the gospel made in your life this past week? What decisions did you make that reflected the truth that Jesus has given you new life? We ask that. That is a hard question. And if the answer to that question is shameful, let me encourage you to look to Christ now. To to look with with hope in Christ. Not to yourself, but but hope in in Christ, uh, who has loved you and who has died for all who look to him with faith. So that we we might grow more and more in love with Jesus. And as we begin this letter, pray for that. Pray that we would receive his word as the word of God and that we would be changed by it. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the sure hope of eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the faith of everyone in this room because we know apart from your changing our rebellious hearts, we would never have come. None of us. Uh, for those here who Do not look to you, Lord, for their salvation. I I pray that you give them eyes to see your beauty so that you bring them to a point where they can no longer resist your glorious gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.